The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Chris, and welcome to a patron-only episode of the Midwest Crime Files. We are so excited to bring special content to all of you guys, so thank you so much for your support, and let's get right on into this story. Let's do this damn thing. This is a story that we've entitled, Until Death Do Us Part, The Deborah Wrinkle Story. A young Deborah Jean met the man that would become her husband, Matthew Eric Wrinkles, in a pool hall. Now, Matthew went by Eric, so for most of the podcasts, I'm going to call him Eric, so just so you don't get confused. The two quickly hit it off, and in 1980, they were married. They settled in the southern Indiana city of Evansville. I love Evansville. I think I don't think I've ever been. I think I've driven through Evansville. Yes, you have. It's where we went to the big Barnes and Noble. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love Evansville. Um, they quickly became the parents of a daughter and a son, Lindsay and Seth. Debbie worked outside the home, and she largely supported the family. While her husband, uh, he worked out of their home garage. He worked on cars. Um, carburetors and stuff. Right, I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world. No, not at all. Um, I did read that, like, he started having issues where, like, they would give him, um, like, zoning complaints and stuff because he was running a business out of a residential property. Right. And, um, you know, just, he had some issues like that. By the early 1990s, however, the Wrinkles' marriage really was deteriorating quickly. In an episode of Evil Lives Here called On the Run, a grown Lindsay describes her parents fighting in marital issues. So, first of all, y'all, if you haven't seen Evil Lives Here, it's on Investigation Discovery. And, like, if you have Discovery Plus, you can watch all of them. It's like the only thing. That show is amazing. It's the only thing Gina watches, I think. Well, like, I like watch all kinds of true no, crime stuff, like, but Evil Lives Here is my you, favorite. When you're falling asleep at night, it's normally something on freaking investi- investigation, uh, whatever the hell, investigation discovery. Yeah. Um, Evil Lives Here is my favorite. And I think the reason why is because a lot of, like, true crime shows and stuff, they present it from the perspective of the victim's family, which is not a bad thing. Right. But what I like about Evil Lives Here is you hear about it from the perspective of the perpetrator's family. Right. And that's interesting to me. Yeah. Like, what did they know? What did they see? What how were did the signs? It, how did it kind of, like, escalate to that point? Exactly. So, if y'all haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. Um, so, Lindsay, on her episode, she talks about her mother and father, that they fought a lot about money. So, because Debbie was the breadwinner, I guess she would get irritated because Eric liked to spend the money, but he really wasn't bringing in right, his which, fair share. Which, and the, like, I would be pissed too. Like, if I'm the breadwinner of the family, like, I understand, like, they're supposed to... You know, your money and my money is our money. Right. But there's a whole different thing when it's your money, my money, 
our money, but you're spending a lot of freaking my or our money, quote you're unquote, not doing a whole lot, to and, and, and you're not doing a whole lot of sh- you know. Yeah, and so like, I think she had you know gotten upset with him and told him to like go get a real job. You need to do this, and from the way Lindsay describes it. Like, in the beginning, when this fighting was going on, her mother and father were both equally responsible. They were both sort of antagonizing each other. And she even says that her mom regularly would hit her dad. Like, smack him, hit him in the back of the head, smack him across the face, whatever. And he said one day, he just got tired of it. And so he hauled off, and he he just punched her in the face. There's a lot of things that can be said about this. Well, like I, I like you know me. I am one of those people that women should never be hit by a man ever, ever, ever. Yeah. But what do you? Ex- I mean, this is one of those things where what do you expect? Like if I'm keep if I keep on getting smacked in the back of the head or smacked across the face and shit, I'm one. I'm gonna walk the fuck away. Yeah. And two, like. If you come at me again, be prepared to get put to the ground or something. Right. Like, not by me hitting you. Like, I'm sorry. I'll never hit you, but I'll make sure you don't hit me. Right. You know? Restraining you is not hitting you. Well. But, I mean, it's one of those and things. And so, like, when you look at it from what what she's told so far, like, he's not he's not coming off as a terrible person just yet. Like right. no, he shouldn't have done it. But maybe he was he was aggravated and aggravated and aggravated and pushed and pushed and pushed and he snapped. But Lindsay goes on to say that after he did that, he just became increasingly violent with both his wife and children to the point where it was definitely abuse, and he was definitely now the aggressor. Right. On May third, nineteen ninety four, police were called to the home. Um, because there was apparently gunfire. So they, there was a 911 call that was made and police and, and probably ambulance and if it's anything like our town, fire department and everybody else and right. their mama shows up. Um, and the officers that were there said that Eric told them that if his wife ever tried to leave him, that he would kill her. So, does that not raise an eyebrow or two? Yeah, like, I'm holy surprised, shit. you know, there wasn't anything, like, follow-up with the cops on that. Especially, especially since that's what he told the cops. Right. So, the two had had an argument about money, and according to a witness that was at the house, Eric pulled a gun and pointed it at his wife. When Debbie tried to take the gun away from her husband, it discharged, and it didn't hit anybody. There weren't any injuries. Debbie covered for her husband with the police though and so there were no charges filed now i think it's important when we're talking about domestic violence cases to know that that is not uncommon at all most victims will deny any wrongdoing to law enforcement they want to avoid getting their abuser in trouble right you know they're not only are they afraid of their abuser but they love their abuser right you know, and they're still hoping they'll change. So, it's sad. Domestic violence makes me sad. What's, what's that one song, Friends with a Monster? 
Yeah. By Rihanna and Eminem. Isn't that kind of what, like, that kind of describes a oh, little bit? Oh, love the way you lie. Yeah. Yeah. Domestic violence, just, it, it's so sad to me. Yeah. Eric's rink, Eric Wrinkles pointing a gun at his wife apparently was not uncommon at all by this point. According to Lindsay, she said there were several instances where he threatened her mother with a gun. He all, um, also had this extremely violent temper with her and her brother. She recalls on the episode of Evil Lives Here that her brother was beat violently with a belt for not cleaning his room. And we're not talking like a couple swats on the butt, like violently. Right. Um, and that her father had threatened her. She also says that her father was becoming really paranoid and behaving more and more erratically as time went on. I wonder if this is like a mental health issue that decided, you know, to rear its ugly head. You know, because, you know, some mental health diseases can go dormant, like, dormant yeah. for years, you know, and it, in the middle, like, midlife, you know, midlife time, 30s, 40s, yeah. they can start popping up. You know, and I wonder if this is a case of that where maybe he, you know, the the abuse that he was suffering from Debbie mm-hmm. finally just snapped it and it's like, okay, you know, we're letting the, we're letting the rage monster out now, and here you go. This is what you got to deal with now. So it's interesting too because Lindsay talks about in her episode of Evil Lives Here that one time she came home and her whole bedroom is just like torn apart, like awful. Everything pulled out, and then her dad's standing there, and he's got, like, this little knife, and he's like, I found this in your room. Your mother put it here because she's going to try to kill me. And he gets up close to her, and he's like, you're a bitch like your mom. Oh, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, so, he was not acting like a normal person in the head. Whether or not he's just evil or mentally ill, I can't really say, but he definitely was odd-behaved. In June of 1994, Debbie took her children and she left Eric. According to Lindsay, they stayed with different relatives until her father would eventually find them. And so then they would up and move to a different relative. I can't imagine living like that. No, like not at all. Like the first time, I, like if you were to leave, like if I were to leave and take the kids and be like, don't cut, you know. Mm-hmm. The first time you come to me, come at me, come at me again. Like, at that time, I'm going straight to the cops, making sure I get, like, protective orders against you. Try it again, motherfucker. Try it again. Right. I dare I dare you, like, I, dare, mm-hmm. I, I double dog dare you to freaking come and try to fuck with me again. Right. Well, and, like, so, Lindsay talks about, you know, one night they're all sleeping and all of a sudden there's just a horn blaring. And they look outside, and it's her dad, and he's just in the in his truck at the road, honking the horn, laughing hysterically, and then he drives away. Like he was tormenting them. Right. Um. They eventually decided to go and stay with Debbie's brother, who went by the name Tony, but his legal first name was Mark. I think it was maybe like Mark Anthony or something. Yeah. And he went by Tony, and his wife Natalie, who also lived in Evansville. So, when they went, like, on the run, it's not like they went, like, across country safe houses. We're talking, like, the Evansville area. Right. Um, 
Debbie officially filed for divorce on June 30th, 1994, and at that time she was granted a protective order. Well, hey, I mean, there you go. But I'm guessing that doesn't end well because... We're here. Because we're, I mean, it's we're, it's on our podcast, so... Right. So, and, and those of you who don't know a lot about domestic violence, the most dangerous time for a victim is when they decide to leave. Right. You know, so a lot of times we hear in our society, well, I just don't understand why they just didn't leave them. I can't believe they stayed with them. You know, but there's a reason. And not that it makes it okay, but like... That is when you are most likely to be murdered, is when you leave an abusive right. partner. On July 20th, 1994, Debbie and Eric attended a provisional hearing on their divorce. During the hearing, Debbie was granted custody of Lindsay and Seth, and Eric was given visitation rights. So it's important to know, like, at this point, since she left in June, he's not seen his children. He's right. had no time with his children. And this was something that was really upsetting him. Now, mind you, he's violent and unpredictable. And I would have done the same thing Debbie did and keep him far away. So yep. I am not judging her. But I'm just kind of putting this into perspective. So he's telling people, she won't let me see my kids. So at this point, the order of protection is set aside. And I can't find if, like, the judge ruled that or if Debbie agreed to like if, it yeah. or because I, I just can't find that. I think it's very weird that it wasn't kept in, you know, like, I understand, you know, order of protection time to be within a certain amount of feet, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I'm sure there's, you can attach, like, addendums to it to be like, except for when we meet at this public place to exchange kids. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, it seems like maybe they agreed to set it aside um, but nevertheless, that evening of July 20th, they were to meet at a fast food restaurant for Eric's visitation, but Debbie and the children never arrived. Presumably out of fear of Eric, Debbie chose not to go to the visitation as planned. So again, not blaming her. Because if she's scared that he is going to do something violent, I mean, it happens all the time. If they can't do something to the partner, then they'll, they'll do, do something to the children but, to hurt the partner. Like, we've this happens. So I'm not judging her. Well, and but I at this why, point, she's violating a court order. Well, and I wonder why it was, was it monitored, like, the visitations weren't monitored. Yeah, I don't know. You know, know what I'm saying? Like, it's very weird that they let an abuse, like, a known, like, known abusive husband to have just straight visitation with his kids she must not and and i don't know this for certain and i don't certainly i'm not trying to victim blame but she must not have told the police everything at this point right because it would have been supervised you know by the court type i would think unless this was just a really stupid judge but, you know, my guess is just like she covered for him when they were called to the house for the shots fired or whatever. My guess is that she wasn't telling the whole story. Yeah. You know, which is not uncommon at all. Um, so, nevertheless, Eric's enraged. He wanted to see his children and he just, this just kind of sets him off. Now, it's important to know that Earlier in that month, while the kids and his 
soon-to-be ex-wife were, you know, on the run from him, Eric's mother had him committed to a mental health facility. Yeah. But after three days of evaluation, so like the 72-hour hold, he was released, and the facility said that he did not meet criteria for an involuntary hold. Which, I mean, I don't know, like, what you guys know about, like, the holds and stuff like that. You can, you know, there's two di- there's two different types. Voluntary is where you walk up like, hey, I'm sick. I need, I need help. help. Then the involuntary, but they have to have the amount of evidence to, to involuntary hold somebody past the 72 hours. Because anybody, like, I can be like, hey, you, you're going to the hospital for 72 hours. As long as medical professionals that come to pick you up and stuff like that say it say yeah there's a probable cause they'll take you right but, but the amount of evidence that they need to do a set like a two-week hold involuntary is astronomical right because they have to prove that you're a danger to yourself or others yeah and, and they have to prove that like they have to be the, able to defend that and that's right. hard and, to and, do. And, and, and a lot of people with mental health are very good liars right you know, if especially if they're not at a point where they want to be helped, no, I'm fine. I don't and have you, to, I don't have thoughts of suicide at all. And you can't like just go back and say, well, you know, this person, if they even knew his history, which they probably did not. Right. But even if they knew that he was abusive to his wife, like they can't just say, well, he has a history of abusing his wife. That's not grounds to right. keep you. Abuse is in a not a criteria. A criteria to meet for an involuntary hold. You have to be in a mental breakdown. Right. Or having a, like a mental event, you know, like a psychotic episode or something like that, for for them to be to be like, no, he's staying. No, I don't. Right. Ca- I don't give a shit. What <laughs> he's crazy as shit right now. He's not leaving. Yeah. But like I said, a lot of people with mental health, where it's on the kind of the like dealing with this for shit six years, like you could. There's a lot of people that are high functioning, like that have psychosis. Right. They'll have a break every once in a while. Yeah. But they can hide it. Well, and you can be a paranoid schizophrenic. You can have multiple personalities. That doesn't necessarily meet criteria for a hold either. Right. You know, they there's a lot that goes into it. It's So it's really easy to say that facility should have held him. But we don't know what evidence they were right. working off of. Um, and we're harping on this because this is kind of, this is around the time of the murders. And this kind of like, I th- I think maybe like it needs to get brought to like the point that you know yes he was psyche valved and uh, you know like and released. Yep. According to Eric Wrinkles, he was also deeply addicted to meth and phetamines at this point. So mm-hmm. that explains a lot of this growing suspicious behavior, growing violent right. behavior, er- erratic behavior. Right. And he also was not sleeping. So, and I don't know if you guys know a whole lot about that or not, but, like, lack of sleep can make you go crazy quicker than anything else. Yeah, I think they say, like, after, like, four days of no sleep, your body can start exhibiting signs, like, if you're a schizophrenic, Mm -hmm. and start seeing, like, having auditory and, like, visual Hallucinations. hallucinations. Yeah, for sure. So, between the stress of a failing marriage and, you know, his, his at-home business not going so well, um, not seeing his children, being addicted to methamphetamines, like, his mental health was deteriorating quickly. 
around 2 a.m. July 21st. So, you know, they were supposed to meet in the evening. This is like 2 a.m. that same night, but it technically falls to the next day because we're after midnight. Right. Matthew Eric Wrinkles cut the phone lines at Tony and Natalie Fulkerson's home and entered the house. And I want to reiterate, this is a point before, like, this is pre-cell, like, cell phones. Oh, yeah. This, like, this... This is, this is landline time. Like, well, this, it's a big thing. I mean, because how are you going to, like... Right. Like, if it's the not phone like, lines are cut, you have no way to call for right. help. Right, and we don't, and we don't know how, exactly how long this all took. So, yeah, like, nowadays, shit, you can dial 911 and instantly, like, within five minutes of somebody coming and shooting... And have people on the way. Like, now you have nothing. You have to, you know, run... You have to make it out of the house to another... Somebody else's house to call 911. Shit. Right. So, he went into the house and he went down to Tony and Natalie's bedroom. And Tony, like I said, is Debbie's younger brother. And him and his wife, Natalie, were in their late 20s. He went to their bedroom and he shot Tony four times... In front of Tony and Natalie's three-year-old son. The gunshots awoke Debbie, who at this point was sleeping with a gun. Right. And so she got her own gun out. And Lindsay describes coming into the hallway with her mother and seeing her father come down the hallway dressed in all camouflage, including camouflage face paint. This dude was just out there. Yes, and he was, you know, Lindsay was 13 at the time. She said that her mom fumbled with her gun and finally shot it and kind of fell backwards and she hit um the gunshot hit her dad in the hand. So like, this woman probably has never shot a gun before. I know, but that's just shitty luck. Yeah. Like, I mean, she was trying to defend herself, but she just obviously didn't have a lot of experience with it. Did, you know, so she shoots him in the hand. Um, she then began to beg for her life. And Lindsay said that she begged her father, do not kill mom. Do not kill mom. And Eric's told her to shut up. And he shot Debbie. Right this in ne- front of his daughter. I, I know that's cold-blooded, but this next part is just straight up, like, cold. Yes. Natalie Fulkerson was running out the front door for her own safety when Wrinkles chased her down and shot her at point blank range in the face, killing her instantly. Like, this is somebody you had zero issues with, except that he was, they were taking care of your family, like, right. your soon-to-be ex-wife and your kids. Right. Like, and you chased her down and shot her, like, just straight up executed her. Yep. Tony, Natalie, and... Debbie were all dead. Eric Wrinkles fled the scene, leaving behind the Fulkerson's 10 and 3-year-old children, a 19-year-old relative that had been staying in the house, and his children, Lindsay and Seth, who were, I think Lindsay was either 13 or 14, and Seth was like 8 or 9. Jesus. The children ran to a neighbor's house for help, and the police were called. Matthew Eric Wrinkles was apprehended the next day. And immediately charged with three counts of first-degree murder. Indiana prosecutors quickly announced they would seek the death penalty against Wrinkles. Seems like Indiana don't play that much. They'll they'll seek the death penalty on on right. pretty quick. Well, I mean, well, and this is one of the cases that it fucking needs to be. Like this motherfucker needed to fry. 
trial, the defense did not dispute that Wrinkles had killed Tony, Natalie, and Debbie. So, so it's open. they didn't come in there and say, oh, he didn't do this. Like, they already knew that that was not up for debate. Right. Um, they contended, however, that he was going through a difficult time in his life. And that he had only came to the house with the intention of retrieving his children who were being unfairly and unlawfully kept from them. And the defense claimed that he would not have killed anyone if Debbie had not pulled a gun on him. Which we know is a lie because Tony was killed first. Right. Um, So how do we know that Tony was killed first? Is this Lindsay's? Yes, because she was the star witness when she was 14 years old, she was the star witness against her father okay. in a capital murder case. Can you imagine? That it just makes me want to puke. Yeah. That is not I can, fair I can to imagine, a I can imagine, girl. I can imagine if my mother, if this motherfucker did that kind of shit, yeah, I, I will testify. Well, I, I get that, but can you imagine the stress that puts on you when you're 14 years old right. and you're testifying in a capital murder case knowing your father might be put to death? For killing your mother, your uncle, and your aunt. In front of you. Right. It's just, ugh. And then he's going to freaking lay the blame on Debbie. Well, victim blaming, that's that's the way of the right. world, isn't it? A neuropsychologist testified that Wrinkles had mixed personality disorder and delusional disorder. The defense claimed that his mental status was further impaired by methamphetamine addiction. I have no doubt. Well, no shit. I don't doubt for a minute that and, he was mentally impaired. And so, like, I'm just kind of, like, this is kind of my area of expertise a little bit. Since, haha, <laughs> psych nurse for a while. So, like, the mixed personality disorder, I think we all know what that is. Like, mixed personality is one of those people that, yeah, they have... It, like some like, narcissistic... Right. Antisocial... Right. It's, it's just like think of all like and it can also be like this can also be like multiple personality disorder yeah like and it's just like yeah they might have this one per, like a one-sided thing on one day and like they're this way this day and the next day oh hey i'm this you know i'm this way and then the next day oh i'm this way you know just that's just a bunch like that in itself is confusing as shit but then you also have the delusional disorder which is like hey like, the, he most likely probably had, like, delusions of grandeur where he thinks that he's above everything. He, like, they have kind of, like, a God kind of complex where, oh, nothing can touch me. I'm, yeah. like, this is this is my life. I'm going to, like, run it the way I want to. You know, shit kind of like that, you know? And I don't think that he was necessarily, I, I'm not saying he wasn't delusional, but I don't think he was delusional about the fact that his kids were being kept from him. They absolutely were being kept from right, him. Right, but for a good for fucking reason. For their own safety. Um... But I think it's really hard to believe, first of all, that he went there with intentions of just seeing his kids. Why the hell would you be in all camo with camo face paint? He's, I don't buy that he, shit for a second. He was, was going to play laser tag with them, babe. <laughs> I don't believe that shit for a second. So right. I think that does show some premeditation. Now, I will say, I don't know if his plan was to kill Debbie until she shot him. I think he might have just been going to take her and the kids. And right. retrieve them, like he said. But he had every intention of killing Tony and Natalie. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a right. little bit. The jury found Matthew Eric Wrinkles guilty on all three counts and sentenced him to death. Lindsay says that he once expressed remorse for killing her mother, but stated that he was not sorry he killed Tony and Natalie because, quote, they got what they deserved, 
End quote. And I, like, is that because they were hiding? He said, like, he implied to Lindsay that they were twisting things to turn Debbie against him. No, motherfucker, you beating the shit out of her was tw- is what was turning her against you. Exactly. Like, and that's where that whole delusional fucking shit comes into. Absolutely. According to multiple reports, Wrinkles eventually showed remorse as his execution date grew closer. Um, Natalie's mother opposed the death penalty. She said that she was Catholic and she didn't believe that the punishment fit the crime. And then I also read somewhere where she said that 19-year-old relative that was staying with their family, that Natalie had actually sort of ran in front of the gun to protect the 19-year-old, which I don't really understand why that would make him any less culpable, but whatever. Um, But Tony and Debbie's adopted uh, adoptive mother strongly supported the death penalty for Eric Rankles. Fucking great. So, I have a, just a little thought on that, though. And I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think he deserved it or I do think he deserved it, but I think there's a little bit of, like, evidence of mental illness where I don't know if I was on the jury... If I would well, have said death penalty. I'm just being completely honest. I'm not saying I wouldn't have, but I don't I don't know if his mental illness was enough to make him not know what he was doing, though. I think it he probably did know what he was doing. I don't know. I go back and forth. That's why I'm saying I can't really say one way or another. But all I can say that is that if the jury had decided on a life without parole, I don't think I would have been horrified no. by that. No, and I could see. Murder. I could have gone either way. As long as this motherfucker doesn't get out of prison. Exactly. Matthew Eric Wrinkles was scheduled to be executed December eleventh, two thousand and nine, in Indiana. His last meal. So apparently, in Indiana, they don't really do a last meal; they do a special meal, right. and they can have it like three days in advance because they said like as people get closer and closer, they don't want to eat. Well, no if shit. Your appetite. No, I. If I knew I was going to get executed, fuck you. I'm not eating a damn thing. I'm. Gonna... I would eat everything inside, but that's why I'm fat. <laughs> like you would see my last meal list. It'd be every fucking food I could think of. I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to die anyway. You might as well enjoy what you like, right? right? I guess. Um. So he chose his meal, and he had it on December 9th. He had a meal of two salads with ranch dressing, rolls, prime rib, loaded baked potato, pork chop, and steak fries. What do you think of that last meal? It sounds amazing. <laughs> the two nights before his execution, Wrinkles requested and was given Ativan to calm his anxiety. So that's another thing that's apparently very common. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the anxiety is, but I guess I didn't realize they, they gave... Ativan readily. Well, I mean, technically, they, I mean, it, once they're under state and like they have to give them all the medical treatment. And I guess it makes sense. I guess I just never thought about it before that they would probably prescribe somebody that was on death row with I'm, well, I'm anxiety medicine. I'm surprised it's not something stronger than Ativan. Like, honestly, like, just give me a whole bottle of Valium. 
I'm dying anyway. Like, either way, like, I'm dying. Like, let me just keep popping these Valium until so, I go to sleep. You know what's really weird about that, though? Like, if you ever watch crime shows and stuff, especially, like, fictional ones like Law and & Order and stuff. Yeah. Like, they talk about how they handle these death row inmates with such kid gloves towards the end. Because, let's say one of them becomes violent and gets hit, like with a, a stick or some like a nightstick or whatever a baton by one of the correctional officers and now he's paralyzed or something they can no longer execute him because you can't execute a sick man right so you could be suffering from a massive heart attack and be scheduled to be executed the next day and they're going to do everything in their power to save you because if you're not stabilized they can't kill you right so they spend tons of money to stabilize someone so that they can legally kill them. It happens all the time. Isn't that a little crazy? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just kind we're of gonna, irony. We're going to shock you back to life just so you can ride the lightning in the chair. Exactly. Um, he spent the last day of his life with family, friends, and spiritual advisors. And these people included Seth and Lindsay. Matthew Eric's, Eric Wrinkles died by lethal injection at 12.39 a.m. December 11th, 2009. When asked to give his last words, he said, and I'll let you read that. He said, quote, not at this time, let's get it done. Let's lock and load. It's plagiarized, but what the hell, end quote. After his execution, Lindsay is quoted as having said, quote, regardless of what my dad has done, he's still my dad. Having to relive this ordeal is tragic, end quote. And in the episode of Evil Lives Here, she talks about how she didn't talk to her dad for a very, very long time. But as his execution got closer, she decided to go and see him. And she was kind of a little scared that he would, like, attack her. Because, you know, she was the prime witness right. against him. But she decided she needed to go and see him. And she said the last day that she spent with him before his execution, you know, they just, they talked and... and visited just like nothing had happened you know and she's like people don't understand how i could do that but this is still my dad right i mean you're gonna have mixed feelings you know and she's like i know what he did and why he's you know why he's getting this punishment and he he's gotta you know pay that price but you know he's still my father um and then wrinkles wrote a statement that was released uh after his execution and i'll let chris read that uh, it states, quote, I am, not a pr I am not proud of the man I was, but I am no longer that man. In the past 15 years, I have come to grips with the extent of the harm I caused. Although tonight I pay for my actions with my life, it has been the, 15, it has been the last 15 years that have been the true punishment, end quote. And so, you know, that's where this story ends. ends. I mean, and that's... And that's, I, I can kind of see, like, his point on, like, his last statement. I mean, he, if he knows he's getting the chair or he's getting executed, mm -hmm. like, you know you have a finite amount of time left. So, but you just don't know how much time. Right. You know, and it could be 1 to 15, like, you know, shit, 15 years, you know, and you just have to sit there. And that's why I, I mean, you know, I'm big, our justice system needs some reworking. Yeah. But that's why I think... Like, life without parole is such a great, like, a, such a good punishment. Well, because it's not, yes, people can, like, they'll for, can be forgiven and stuff like that, but 
you execute a person, it's just like, oh no, you know, it's done. From a morality standpoint, I can see where the death penalty is like. It's kind it, of archaic. Yeah, and it's kind of hypocritical. Like, oh, you killed someone? Well, we're going to kill you. I get this whole eye for an eye crap. So, right. no, like, I, I, we'll probably get. Well, good thing this is patron only episode because otherwise people would probably be bitching about, you know, me saying that. But, like, as a pro life person, I don't necessarily think that you can really sit there and say that, you know, it's up to God who lives and dies, but then you're pro death penalty. But as a mother, if someone hurt and killed one of my children, I would probably want to put the needle in myself. Well, yeah. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of people that say, you know, these people are scum of the earth. Why should the government, i.e. the taxpayers, have to pay to house and feed these people for the rest of their lives? But here's the thing. It actually costs more to execute someone than it does to put them in prison for the rest of their lives. Right. That is a proven fact. It is not up for debate. And, we, and, and that's after you could, like, because the cross, like, the court case has to be different. Yep. You know, so that's extra costs, you know. The appeals process in and stuff itself, which, again, a lot of people are like, well, they shouldn't get all these appeals. Well, I'm sorry, but there's been too many people that have been on death row that have later been found to be completely innocent, proven with DNA evidence. Like, you have to give people reasonable chance. Like, there's too many fuck-ups in the court system not to give people a reasonable appeals process. Which, while we're on that subject... Eric Wrinkles did appeal his his sentencing for a little while, but 15 years really is not that long on death row. I mean, you look at these people on 20, 30 years. Um, But he eventually declined to further um, appeal Appeal. the case. So, I mean, he accepted his punishment, and I, you know, he seems like maybe he grew. I mean, I would love to say because he got clean in prison, but let's be honest, there's as many if not more drugs in prison than right. anything else but it does seem like hopefully maybe he grew up a little bit and maybe got some help I right. hope it's 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 just one of those I don't know like the whole like you said the morality of the death penalty is something maybe we can have a debate again on like a live or something yeah that'd be a good I think that would be a good live well and I know one day we want to do the Death Row Files, another podcast. I don't know when that's ever going to happen, but hopefully one day, you know, and we'll talk about that a lot. But, you know, then I'm sure the hate mails are coming in. Right. When I can't believe you said that. But I do have some thoughts. Like, I do think that there was a decent amount of evidence in his case that he was mentally ill. I've seen people get rid of their death sentence on a lot less. Right. Than what he had, I don't know. It's just my thought. Right. Whatever. Um, but he accepted his punishment in the end, and and you know he was executed. Yeah. Good story for a first patron. I think so. Yeah, and we're not going to give you guys like the normal like oh go to the Midfest Crime Files and like and subscribe. We know you guys like to subscribe because you're patrons. Exactly, That's, you're awesome and like, you rock. Like we love all of our listeners, but we love you a little bit more. Exactly. <laughs> no, but like we love you guys. Uh, thank you so oh, much. Thank, like, you for, thank you for the donate. Like even a little, like the smallest amount of support, like 
you have no idea what that means to us because not only does it help us to be able to keep doing the podcast and doing new things, but it also just lets us know that it's a little more there's a purpose for us doing this. There are people that care enough and really are invested as, as invested as we are. So we appreciate you guys more than you know. Thank you so much for being a patron and we hope that you enjoyed this episode as well as your regular episodes. Yep. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.